Welcome to the How to Become a Career Coach podcast. Let me ask you a question. Do you enjoy helping other people? Do people keep coming to you for advice? Or maybe you keep finding yourself in career conversations. If you want to know what it really takes to become a career coach and help others pursue work they love by doing something that you love, well, then this is the podcast for you. We will be talking to experienced career coaches, exploring what it really means to be a career coach and how they were able to first get their start, the challenges they overcame, and many lessons learned along the way. I'm Scott Anthony Barlow. I'm the CEO and founder of Happen to Your Career and the creator of the Professional Career Coach Training and Certification. Hey, welcome to How to Become a Career Coach. I am incredibly excited because... I have this woman who is an amazing career coach in her own right in my universe, as we called it, just uh, just before we hit the record button here. And not only am I excited, but I think that you're in for a treat today because I have with me Tracy Tem. Tracy, how are you today? I'm so good. Like I told you before we started, I'm just delighted to know you and to be a part of this whole fun environment and, and happy to share anything that I can that's going to help your listeners really understand what this world and this path looks like. Well, here's what I'm really curious about. Speaking of this world and this path, as you called it, I'm really curious because I don't even think you and I have talked about this. We've had many conversations over the last probably three, four years, I guess it's been. And I don't know that I know the unfettered version of what caused you to want to become a career coach in the first place. So help me understand what prompted you to make that decision? What led you down that track? Yes, I love it. It's This is always where I say like, well, how much time do you have? Because you know me, we, we could go on for ages about all of this. But the reason that I do what I do is truly a personal labor of love. And it was because of my own lack of career clarity and my own inability to find resources that I realized if I could solve my own problem, I really thought I would enjoy helping other people do the exact same thing. And that's not true for everybody. For some people, they just want to gain career clarity and then move on with their career and do whatever it is that they want to do and be happy doing that. And that's wonderful. But for some of us, and you know this about any great entrepreneur, right? They solve a personal problem and all of a sudden they realize so many other people have this problem and they, because they've gone through it themselves, are uniquely positioned to deliver that solution to others. Oh yeah. Yes. It's just such a funny story looking back on it because now it feels ancient. But at the time, you know, suffering in your career when you don't know what you want to do is real and it's visceral and it drags down the rest of your life. But so many of us, myself included, weren't raised necessarily thinking about what am I going to do with my career and my life. We were I call us the generation of box checkers. Like I was the busiest kid on the planet and all I was doing was checking boxes. It was get A's, get onto the next grade, be really good at an extracurricular activity. So if you're going to do sports, be on the top team. If you're going to do an instrument, you want to be first chair. If you're going to volunteer, then you're going to get the national merit, blah, blah, blah. Right? Like it was just this childhood of like perform, perform, perform all to get the kudos of a job well done, but not necessarily in service of anything beyond that. So I worked hard. I excelled in school, graduated really high in our class, was very good at softball at the time. So got recruited to go to Yale of all places, which was very eye-opening and very interesting. And I studied psychology there, thankfully, because I was like, 
you know, I'm so my whole life box checking. I want to do something that I actually enjoy. So my whole first semester, I just took out of the box weird stuff. I was like, what is this deep philosophical class on the philosophy of ethics? I'll, I'll take that. And that's how I wound up into, in a psychology class and fell in love and realized that a passion that I'd had my whole life without being able to put a name on it was people. And because that was so vague, I remember not appreciating it. Like I remember thinking like, well, that's not a passion. That's, that's a topic. <laughs> you know, That's not a real thing. Yeah. But in reality, I loved it. I loved learning about our behaviors and our motivations and why we do what we do. And when I looked at all the things in my life that made me happy or felt engaging or fulfilling, they were all people-based. None of them were technical. None of them were analytical. And, and that's not true, again, for everybody. That was just true for me. But as you know, and obviously many people listening to this or many of the clients that you or I have worked with, what we study in college isn't necessarily directly related to, oh, you did this, now this is your career path. So in psychology, one of the obvious career paths is you know, counseling or therapy or psychiatry or whatever. And I was 22 years old and I was like, I don't want to listen to people's problems. Like, like, I got problems of my own, like that I couldn't even figure out how to solve. Like, why would somebody listen to me? And it's just not the path I wanted to go down. Plus, I think this is important for people to, to figure out about themselves too. It's who you have a heart to serve is really important. So for people who work in that space and do therapy, you know, they're serving people who are very much in need, but I didn't have that heart. There's so many people who do that that are absolute saints, you know, that are taking people from really low function to getting by every day or from getting by every day to feeling a little bit better. And I think as I looked at it, I knew that I could perhaps do something in that vein, but it would have to be on making good people great. It would have to be on like maximizing or realizing potential or taking somebody who's really, really, really strong in some area and helping them channel that into some outcome that was more positive. All that's hindsight by the way. So because Yale is a great place to find a job, but not necessarily a great place to find your perfect job, because they have so many people on campus, they do tons and tons of career fairs and things like that. But it's, you know, things that they want Yale grads for, you know, there's a ton of finance, there's a ton of consulting, grad schools go there and hunt like voraciously for candidates. Oh, yeah. You know, future leaders of America and the world, right? Tons of politicians. So people would go and work in DC or what I thought was totally crazy, but cool was, you know, these kids would spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on this amazing degree. And then they'd go work for Greenpeace or <laughs> travel around the world for two years, working for the Peace Corps and making nothing and, and, you know, giving back. And so those were kind of the obvious routes. And if you didn't have a heart for like Teach for America, or you didn't know you wanted to run the free world, or you didn't know that like grad school was for you because you definitely wanted to do law or in medicine, then you were kind of stuck. There were a handful of us that were just very confused and were battling over the same jobs, not really knowing why, you know, using what I call now, and I learned this from another grad, you know, just the wrong set of criteria. It wasn't our personal set of criteria. So I got a job working on Wall Street. Uh, I did it out of fear. I did it out of obligation. I did it because I wanted to be making money and take care of myself and be able to pay my parents back and take care of them. But two and a half years into that, you know, I mean, let's be, let's be honest, two and a half days into that, I was, <laughs> I was miserable and slowly, but surely I just became more and more a shell of myself. And I think the inciting event that really gave me the idea that eventually this type of work might be right for me was that the first logical thing I could think of was to call Yale career services or, you know, the alumni network and just say like, I have no idea what I want to do, but this is definitely not it. You know, do you have 
insert product, service, coach, book, assessment, something for those of us who just didn't get on the conveyor belt <laughs> that we wanted. And they, unfortunately, at the time, this was uh, early, or so what, 2011, 12, something like that. They had very little in the way of specialized career coaching or proven programmatic resources, or, you know, they just didn't know where to point you. They could absolutely get you an interview with any company that had a relationship with Yale, which was a huge coup. But if you didn't fit into one of those boxes, they didn't really know what to do with you. And you didn't know which box that you wanted to go to. And that's the other part. I was like, maybe I do fit in a box, but I have no idea which one. So I I can't help you help me. And, And at that point I was like, you know what? I can't be the only one with this problem. And if I solve it for myself and figure out a way to make that a proven strategy or program, then I want to do that. You know, I want to combine that love of people and behavior and motivation and story with this desire to solve this problem for myself. And that's really where it all got started. Obviously, it took years for it to become a reality after that. But that was the inciting event that I remember really vividly thinking, huh, this could be a problem worth solving. At what point did, you know, after that inciting event, how long did it take or what happened that caused you to say, nope, this is absolutely what I'm doing? Yeah. So you know what is really fascinating in the psychology department? Oftentimes they'll allow you to get course credit while working for somebody on some sort of research project. So I got introduced to a girl who was doing her dissertation on stress and mindset and how your mindset around stress actually impacts how your body responds to stressful situations. It was really, really cool. And she and I got to be just good personal friends after that. Um, And she's introduced me to so many cool and wonderful people. She's now a professor at Stanford in the psychology department. And, you know, she asked me, is this something you want to solve because you want to solve it? Or is it something that you want to solve because you need it? And unfortunately, that limiting mindset, which she, ne- I mean, she is a person of possibility. She's, she's the one who taught me to never say the word can't. Like she was an amazing achiever. But for some reason that stuck in my head, like maybe it's not worth wanting to do it because I only want to solve it for myself. And then when I get there, once it's solved for me, I'm not going to feel as passionately about it afterwards. Does that make sense? Yeah. We run into that all the time. That exact question of, is this for me or is this because I'm really actually legitimately excited about the possibilities beyond me? Yes. And you know what it is now that I've realized it's that because it was for me, it also was that much more something that I was gifted at delivering to others. Like I've lived the suffering. I literally just got off a call right before we started this recording with a potential client. And and I lived that suffering. I lived coming home and disappointing the people who loved me because I was just a shell and a sort of a moody, angsty version of myself and way over imbibing on red wine and needing to like drink NyQuil to go to bed to fight off the Sunday scaries before, you know, going back to work on Monday. I mean, we've all been there, right? So I think if you're maybe wondering whether this is right for you or, or is it just that I need it and then I'm not necessarily going to be interested in giving it to people afterwards, I would challenge your thinking to just say to yourself, you know, how could me going through this first make me that much better at delivering this solution for somebody else? And, and that's how it ended up working for me. So I fought it for a while. I ended up quitting that job. 
I quit that job without a plan and without a job and was very fortunate that a couple puzzle pieces fell into place. And I enrolled myself back into school technically, but I went on a semester at sea, which is generally an undergraduate study abroad program. But they took me at 25 because I <laughs> convinced them that I would, you know, add diversity to the class, <laughs> and uh, which I did because I was like, you know, mama bear. And they were all like, what is the real world like? And I was just like, stay here. <laughs> um, but what we did was super cool. We traveled around the world for four months on a boat. And whenever we stopped in port, we would get off and travel. And whenever we were on the boat, you'd take class. And so it gave me a chance to try out a bunch of different ideas. And this is something I teach in my career clarity program called the nth degree is that we have to sometimes test drive our assumptions. You don't have to always go all in on a full-time job to know whether or not you're going to like it. And I wanted specifically to test out the idea of traveling full-time, the idea of going back to school, and then the idea of switching industries into more of a social enterprise, nonprofit, good for the world type of thing. Cause I had been so utterly jaded working on wall street for as long as I had. So I got to test out all three of those things. And I learned a lot from that process. And I came away more specifically with some amazing mentors who really reflected back at me what I was really gifted at naturally, what I had learned over time that I could leverage. And they edified that idea that I could really help people if I wanted to. But I was still really scared. I got back to the US. I had semi-accepted a full-time job that fell through uh, because it was at a startup and that happens all the time. And I was out in California living at an aunt and uncle's house on a, on a golf course, which doesn't suck, but when you're unemployed, it's a little scary. And I got an email from a woman that I had actually written to a year prior who had written a best-selling book. She had then leveraged that book into a speaking career because of all the notoriety and media. And then she had started her own speaking, training, and consulting company. And I loved her. We had a very similar story. And I had just reached out to her on a whim to ask for advice. And lo and behold, a year later, the same week, mind you, that this job fell through, which tells you it was very serendipitous, she emailed me out of the blue and said, oh, I just had a baby this time last year. I'm just checking old emails. I'd love to talk to you. I was like, this was meant to be because no sane person checks your old emails. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, we had a great conversation and she lived in Houston and that's inevitably what brought me back to Dallas. I started to work for her. I was her right-hand person. And that was really my baptism into the world of entrepreneurship, coaching, seminars and trainings, keynote speeches, writing content, doing sales. Like I, I did everything that she didn't do. And primarily what she did was deliver in-person stuff. And I was everything else and remote. But meanwhile, of course, because I was I agreed to get paid something paltry like $15 an hour and there wasn't nearly enough work to sustain a full-time, you know, job, I got all these side gigs that were horrible. I was writing online textbook content at one point. I worked at a steak restaurant here in Dallas. I worked seasonally for a women's like athletic clothing company, Lululemon, which was <laughs> learned a lot there. <laughs> so, it was a really rough time because I was still stuck on this notion. And I think a lot of your listeners might resonate with this too, that my life had to look like everyone else's. In what way? When you say my life had to look like everybody else's? If I didn't have a nine to five, if I didn't have insurance and benefits, if I didn't have a specific amount of time off, if I didn't wake up the same time every day and drive the same route to the same job and complain about my commute and have an office that was poorly lit and sit behind a cube that I didn't really like, like that was all my friends' lives. And they were just waiting for me to get on board. Like, when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to figure this out? And there was a lot of angst around like the 
external expectations of other people. When I was just trying, like I had chosen that job with intention. I wanted a remote type of work so that I could do more exploration. I didn't want to be tied down to anything in particular. I really wanted to learn. So I allowed a lot of external noise to ignite the fear that caused probably my biggest career mistake, which coincidentally became the reason that I became a career coach. So she ended up going back into corporate. She was just, I think she would tell you this too, not necessarily cut out for life out, you know, on your own hustling and and doing that whole thing. She really likes structure and she really likes uh, things to, you know, have a little bit more continuity to them. Great. She went back into corporate and I was like, crap, I'm SOL. It's like the majority of my income. I have no idea what I'm going to do instead. And I ended up taking immediately the very first conversation that came to me, which was a vendor of hers. And I met this guy, was really intrigued. He's very charismatic CEO. And without doing any diligence, like because I was so afraid and because they were offering pretty reasonably good money and benefits, I was going to get dental again. I was so excited, uh, right? <laughs> that I was like, I have to take this. This is the logical, correct next career step. If I want to get my resume back in order, if I want to look impressive to people again, if I want to have a real job, this is what I have to do. And everything, Scott, in my gut was telling me no. I'm not, you know, a woo woo, like, intention, blah, 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 kind of person all the time, but my gut is always right. Or (laughs) even if it isn't, and I go against it, I end up doing the thing that proves that the gut was right, if that makes sense. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I took this job and I kid you not, have you, okay, so girls will resonate with this. You tell me if this has happened to you, because I think it'd be funny. In the girl world, when you're dating, There are sometimes these people that you meet that are very, very, very into you. They're like head over heels for you. They worship the ground you walk on. They're like the altar of Tracy. Yes. And you're like, meh, but because they like you so much and they're so aggressive about it, you're like, well, maybe I'll develop feelings. You know, maybe this will grow. Maybe this will become something. But then of course, as you go along, they start to realize like, hmm, A, she's just not that into me. B, I don't think we had as much in common as we did before. And C, like, what the heck am I doing here? And inevitably, that person breaks up with you. And so now you're the one left holding the bag. And you're like, well, I didn't even necessarily want to date you in the first place. I didn't even want to be here. (laughs) Yes. So I got fired. I got fired three months into this job because they were really small. They didn't have, you know, a lot of capacity for people that weren't adding bottom line value right away. And I hated the job I was doing. I wasn't any good at it. It had nothing to do with my skills or expertise. And so it wasn't serving me. I wasn't serving them. It was just a horrible fit. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. You should be lucky to have me. Like, what do you mean it's not working out? Like, does that mean like come back on Monday and do a better job? Like I, you know, like, and then you're sitting there like, looking at your life and going, Oh my God, like I have a Yale degree. I quit wall street. I traveled around the world. You know, I'm like beating my chest. Like I'm so awesome. And here I am just canned, like fired, fired. It took me two years to say that word out loud for all of you in Texas. You'll know this very well. I ended up leaving the office, driving directly to a Whataburger getting a honey butter chicken biscuit and a chocolate milkshake and driving around Dallas for two hours aimlessly. Like couldn't go home, couldn't go back to my apartment, couldn't call my mom, like crying. Like I I was just like, it was the lowest. I thought quitting my job was a low. I thought all the angst I felt around not knowing what I wanted to do was a low, but living someone else's definition of success and that not working out was, I mean, devastating. I truly had like a come to Jesus moment after that and was like, dude, like 
because this is how I talk to God, dude, like tell me what it is dude. and I'll do it. Like, please just, I, I, I am your servant. I will do whatever you tell me. Just what is it? And, and it was this, it was, you have had all of these incredible career experiences that can relate to all kinds of people that have so much potential and so much energy and so many gifts, but they've just been putting them in the wrong places and not being true to who they are. And that was my whole issue it was like, I know what I'm good at. I know environments that allow me to be the best version of myself and environments that make all my strengths into liabilities. I know what I enjoy doing and what I don't. I know what I need out of a day. I know what my core values are, but I was ignoring all of that for this alternative set of criteria that ended up not serving me and not allowing me to serve others. And it was literally right after getting canned that I, uh, I started my own business. I was an unemployed career coach. <laughs> and that was, uh, that was day one. That was like September of 2014. So this is super interesting because one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, you know, what gave you the confidence to become a career coach? And I think when people think about that sort of thing, like, you know, what do I need to do? What qualifies you to be a career coach or what qualifications do you need to have to be a career coach? I think that there's multiple different ways to get there. And in your case, what qualified you or what gave you the confidence was things not going successfully in the way that you had anticipated and having mm -hmm. those experiences of being able to learn from that. And what's really interesting to me is that I think not all the time, but a whole bunch of the time, those can be far more valuable than having everything go incredibly well, because in my mind, that's that's the line you know, you were talking earlier about like, Hey, is, <laughs> am I doing this for myself or am I doing this because I want to help other people? And in many yeah. ways, I think that is the line where you feel a different sense of either fulfillment, purpose, et cetera, to be able to help other people in a yeah. way that's really useful and healthy and valuable and everything like that. When it is that learning through failure or learning through mistakes or learning through life experience, if you want to call it that. Yeah. It really highlighted and very quickly, mind you, because some people will do what I did, but they'll do it over a 20 year career. And I yeah. did it in a very short period of time, but that's my uh, high sense of urgency. Low amount of patience is both my, one of my greatest assets and one of my biggest issues, but it served me pretty well in this capacity because I learned a lot in a very short period of time. And I made, this is the big thing I think for, for people considering this type of work, meaningfully different choices based on what I learned. So if I realized immediately that like not having freedom and flexibility literally made me feel like I was wearing a straight jacket and I really struggled to perform in that environment, then I had to honor that instead of fight it. Let's use, I don't know, trying to diet as an example. If you're not internally accountable generally to yourself, meaning if you're at home alone, you will eat the whole pint of Ben and Jerry's even though you told yourself and everybody that you wouldn't, then you have to get some external accountability in some capacity to make sure you don't do that thing that you know you don't want to do, but you're not going to hold yourself accountable to not doing. Does that make sense? So instead of beating yourself up for not being able to do it and then doing the behavior anyway, <laughs> right? So two negatives, you put other things in place to allow yourself to be successful. So that's what I had to start doing was, okay, if, if I function the best in X, Y, and Z environment, then I have to stop applying for jobs in ABC environment or build a business that honors my 
unique knowledge, skills, and talents and gifts, then that could very easily be the best example as a career coach, right? If, if I'm living proof that you can have work you love, that it gives you the life that you want, that allows you to make bank, takes advantage of what you're good at, and you find it really deeply impactful and meaningful, that I think makes for a great career coach. It just takes time. You know, not everybody's going to start off being that perfect example. I got to start off on the platform of you think you've screwed everything up in your career. I guarantee you <laughs> haven't done it as many times as me. Look at the t-shirts that I got and made the quote. Yeah, right. Oh, it's so great. I love it. That I could lead from a place of I've walked this walk with you and humility. You know, I've heard say like, I think it was Michael Hyatt who said that there's really three types of coaches. Um, he calls them like the sage, the, I'm going to totally going to screw this up, the Sherpa and the servant or something like, I don't know, but they, they come at the same problem from different directions. So like there's the, there's the wise older person who's like, come follow me children. And then there's the one who carries the burden with you. And then there's the one who literally is living it like as you're living it. So I just decided in that moment, that's who I was. I was the one who lived it and was still living it and was still trying to figure it out. And I bet just being honest and authentic about my story could attract people and could allow me to help them troubleshoot and navigate the minefield that I had you know, blown up on so many times. So let me ask you this then. I had the pleasure of working with you when you got some of your very first clients yeah. in the in the early days. You were amazing. When. Yes. I I yeah. I owe a lot to you, especially when it came to the time that I had with my dad and and just really building a business around the life I wanted as opposed to looking at other people's success and making that my goal. I think that was truly helpful. Amazing. So anyway, you were saying <laughs> I had so much fun working with you during those early times too. And I think you yeah. did such great work. And that's part of the reason why we're, you know, here talking today. You know, I remember you sending me a text after <laughs> I think it was like the first, you know, 652 sessions a month or something, yes. something like that, way back when. And I was so excited for you. But what I was wondering if you could share how you got yeah. some of your very first clients and help people mm -hmm. understand that because that can be such a big milestone as people are thinking about getting into career coaching. What did yeah. that look like for you? So, you know, one of the first things that was really helpful for me was specifically working with you, not because of anything that you necessarily did, but I got to learn how good coaching conversations were structured. Mm -hmm. So some of the very first things that you shared with me then became the very first things that I shared in my either initial contact calls or very first coaching sessions with people. And I, because I didn't go through a formal coaching training of any kind, I really just learned as I went, which yeah. is for some people and is not for others. And there are so many things, you know, I'm also the kind of person that just dives in head first, <laughs> clearly on stuff, you know, until somebody said, I'm not going to hire you unless you have X, Y, and Z certification. I was like, I'm not going to spend the money or the time. I'm just going to do the work and get paid. And if that becomes a thing, I'll go do it. Right. So I just never had to do it. That being said, because I didn't go through anything formal, I didn't necessarily have the scripts that you had or the experience that you had. And so I think one of the first things that you might want to do to edify your confidence in being a career coach is get a coach yourself, is to you know practice what you preach, live by that example. And anybody who coaches should have a coach. I have a business coach. I pay for my accountability in a lot of ways. And, and some of it, I don't, some of it's masterminds and things, but I think that part was crucial at the very beginning to at least have a platform to stand on. And then the tactical part of actually getting clients 
definitely took time. I spent probably the entire first year spending 90% of my waking working time on a completely different, actually a side job that was funding everything that was paying for things that was tangentially related to the coaching business, but not directly coaching. And I spent the rest of my time doing research. So I would reach out to people that I met along the way and say like, you know, this is what I'm getting into. Can I just like learn more about how you see the problem or what issues you're coming up against. And that started to give me more verbiage or like knowing what people were going to say when I asked certain questions or really deeply understanding the problem from someone else's perspective, because I'd only understood it from mine. And having that really helped because some of those conversations then became, you know, maybe not paying clients, but certainly people at the very beginning who were like, yeah, let's, let's work through your advice together. Then you really have to, I think on all fronts at all times, talk about what you want to do. And that's really like vague sounding, but I've gotten clients from bachelorette parties, from bridal showers, sitting on an airplane, sitting at an airport bar. Like literally, I think (laughs) I really hope this girl calls me, but I went out to like a really nice sushi restaurant a couple weeks ago. And at the end of the meal, she's like, so you were saying you do career stuff. Can I have your card? So like, you just, you have to, especially if you're passionate about it, talk about it all the time to everybody and do it in a way where you're not going, these are my services. This is what I want to do. Do you want to work with me? (laughs) It's genuinely having an interest in other people and asking really good questions. So how long has this been bothering you? How does it make you feel? How's it impacting the rest of your life? What do you think is really keeping you stuck? What hasn't worked in the past? Why do you think you're afraid to take the leap? It sounds like you already know what you want. You know, being genuinely interested in people is massive. And putting that out in many ways frequently is how you is how you get momentum at the beginning. It's like building a snowman, you know, like the, the, the core of the big snowball. It takes forever to put together. But once you have a core it's so much easier to roll and grow momentum after that. So I would put things on Facebook, put them on LinkedIn, talk to people in real life. I'm much more of a real life person. I'm not a digital person necessarily. So, you know, I met you through networking. Just, I started a podcast. So I just decided that I was going to put content and like positive things out in the world. And literally that very first girl who paid me $650 for five hour long sessions, which is absurd (laughs) when I think back on it. Yeah. I thought I could make a living off of that. <laughs> but but it's where you started. It is. It's where you start. And my business model has changed so many times. And you really have to be open to that too. So now I have a program and retreats. I don't do any one-on-one coaching anymore. So, you know, it, it, it evolves over time. But that very first girl, this is so poetic too. Actually, it was her husband who reached out to me on LinkedIn. And he and I had worked together at the Wall Street firm that I had quit. Like at that point, one, two, three years prior. Yeah. And he said, Hey, uh, you know, we just moved to Miami. My wife is really unhappy with her job. Is that what you do? (laughs) (laughs) uh, I think there's a question in here, but yeah, I think too, also when you're starting out, knowing who you have a heart to serve is really important. So my heart went directly to these young professionals who had all this potential, who got on the career conveyor belt that they were supposed to, and then found it deeply dissatisfying. Right. And we're trying to figure out how to then leverage that experience without feeling like they're starting over from scratch and get back to who they really are because they've forgotten along the way. Right. So she was the very first one that I ever worked with who was like, you made me feel like myself again. Like you brought out this person that I knew was in there, but had just been stifled for so long because I'd been in the wrong, putting myself, you know, setting myself up for failure. 
But I thought it was really poetic and beautiful that it was a guy that I worked with at that previous job who reached out to me and said, hey, I think my wife could really use your help. And she became literally my cornerstone testimonial. I still use her stuff. She's still featured on my homepage. Like she, you know, she's my avatar, if you will. Yeah. It's not a very pretty linear, do this, do that, do this, do that picture. But once you start to figure out the activities that do move the needle, like what you and I worked on, which was, you know, where are you getting the majority of your success from and double down on those activities? Like LinkedIn, for instance, you guys, LinkedIn is the largest CRM in the world, if you think about it. And if you know exactly who you want to serve, like you can find them. You can find them. You can literally They're there. find them. Just they, have, they have names, they have pictures, they have lives, they have children. You know, you can find whoever you want on there. So when I realized that, I was like, well, hell, like, why am I doing this the hard way? Why am I not just reaching out to people going, hey, listen, you might have this problem, you might not but it happened to me. So it could be happening to you. And I, all I remember, this is one piece of my marketing now. I'm like, if it is you, I remember being you and just wishing the right resource would fall into my lap. I think I might be that resource for you. And this might be falling into your lap. If it is great, if it's not blow me off, (laughs) you know, and people love that because it's honest. Like I'm not trying to work with people who don't need my help. I'm not trying to solicit everybody in the world, but I am trying to be that person in that moment in time who is present when someone is seeking a solution. And I think that's the difference for those of us who this path works out for, because it does take a lot of hustle. It does take a lot of entrepreneurship. It takes a lot of failure. What's the hardest part for you from your perspective when you think about the whole journey from you know before till now, what has been the hardest thing? Oh gosh. Okay. So I think of hardest things in different genres. So when it comes to like actually doing the coaching, one of the hardest things for me is that I need to be a better listener and less of a just do this kind of person. The core of coaching is asking questions and listening for patterns and answers and then providing suggestions. And my suggestions come across sometimes as gospel. (laughs) So I think that for me, it's been, you know, knowing and learning that you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. For some people, it's going to have to be their idea. And you have to figure out ways to present information that resonate with each unique individual. And that's part of the job that I love the most because I love figuring people out. But I think early on, it was that part. It was not being as good of a listener as I needed to be. And that's gotten better over time. When it comes to business building, I have learned a lot of lessons along the way. And my business model has changed to reflect the life that I wanted and how to build a more lucrative business based on freedom. And, you know, when you first get into coaching, everybody's like, oh, I do, you know, this is my packaging, or I have this many sessions per whatever, or I charge this per hour. And, you know, for some people, they love that. And they're going to have a lifestyle of doing that. And they're going to have, you know, they're going to be like therapists, right? And that's, perfectly fine for some people. Some people really love that ongoing coaching and really enjoy doing that one-on-one work. That just wasn't for me. The whole purpose of me doing one-on-one was to build a methodology that I could deploy in multiple different kinds of products and services that maybe one day I'm not even involved in doing. I'm just the voice of the overall idea. 
And I have, you know, little certified coaches and other minions running around and like, they're the ones boots on the ground, delivering the actual service to people. Uh, But that was the vision that I had for my business. Right. So I think one of the biggest hurdles is being true to yourself in this whole process. Meaning it's so easy to look like I first looked at you and was like, Scott makes X per hour. Maybe I should just start charging X per hour. And that would be the solution. Or you'd meet somebody else and they have this beautiful digital program. You're like, oh, I have to build a digital program. Now, yesterday. (laughs) Yesterday. Like, why isn't it done yet? And, you know, also you look at all these online gurus and people who tell you like, oh, you just have to build your email list. And here's how you do that. And oh, buy my course on blah, blah, blah. And here's how you do that part. And, you know. In my opinion, that game has already been won. Like the Amy Porterfields and Marie Forleo's and, you know, Tony Robbins's or whatever of the world, they have like Michael Hyatt. He's got a, an email list of like hundreds of thousands of people. So he could just drip out any given $20 product tomorrow. He's going to make a bunch of money. Those people got online in, in the early 2000s and they've been building their following since then. And I was like, well, I'm not going to play that game. I don't want to win at someone else's game. I want to redefine the game that works for me. So we have a very high touch, very low enrollment, very expensive digital program. And now we're going to also add in retreats, which are going to bring in the component of actually me being physically in front of people again, which I'm super excited about. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, you just have to, I think I got really sidetracked sometimes trying to build other people's business models and not seeing the breadth of what was possible and building the business that I wanted from the beginning and really just over considering other people's opinions. But you, you know, you learn from all of that. The other hard part too, is like just the, the logistical, I don't know when the hell my next paycheck is necessarily coming. Like how do I deal with that kind of stress and anxiety? But I do think that all of us, whether we realize it or not, we choose the uh, what's his name? He just wrote that, uh, book, Mark Manson, uh, who had, you know, we all choose the shit sandwich that we eat in our jobs. Meaning if you can't deal with the uncertainty, this is not the job for you. If that is just categorically a deal breaker for you, that you need structure, you need to know exactly when the next paycheck is coming in, then maybe do coaching on the side and have a full-time job or have something that's a little more structured. But I knew that I could handle that. So the uncertainty was okay, but it, it does, it sort of rocks you, you know, you're like you're either delivering the work or you're selling the work. you got to get through that kind of hurdle to where you have more consistency. I really think it was a process of figuring out the model that's going to work best for me and then continually living that and building that with intention. It's challenging. It's easy to get distracted. So two other potentially big questions with the remaining mm-hmm. time that we have here. One, you've alluded to this a little bit. But as you've gone through and you have built more recurring revenue, have you have shaped your different programs yeah. and done more so with the intention of building the life that you want? What has that looked like? How has it shaped your life to become a career coach? And maybe even more accurately, what are the ways that you have more recently shifted your business in order to create what you actually wanted? Yes. So there've been a lot of iterations. So you remember like very back in the early days, I was like, this is what I charge per hour. Then I was like, I'll get a little more savvy. I'll have packages. So this is what I charge per month. And this is what you get, or this is what I, you know, or whatever. But 
then because I wasn't a fan of the one-on-one specifically because I like efficiency. So me having to sit in front of a person and explain a topic that I had just explained to somebody else the hour before, and I had just explained to somebody else the hour before that in the exact same words was so inefficient and so frustrating that I was like, okay, there's got to be a way that I can package this and deliver it to lots of people at once and then just field their questions. So that's a better use of my time. It's a better use of their time. And I get to serve more people and make more money. So that's when I had the idea of building a digital program. And I did specifically digital and video because I thought that would be the most efficient. And then in the world at that time, which was the end of 17, beginning of 18, all of these were passive products, right? Everybody was like, here's my smart passive income course on blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to charge $2,000 or four payments of 549 and blah, 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 right? So I thought that was going to be my story. And I built this whole program had, you know, great results because I was leveraging all the lessons I had learned from my one-on-one clients. And I put out a beta version of it. I enrolled 20 ish people on like a, what I was calling a scholarship basis. So the true pricing was going to be $2,000 and I had people paid somewhere between a hundred and 500, something like that, depending on how I was feeling that day, how bad their story was and how much I thought they would actually do the work. Yeah. And very quickly, I learned that something like career specifically You can deploy the information passively, but there's so much power and necessity in the accountability and in the conversations and in the discovery and in the process that you have to go through together. So then I actually enrolled in a business program in the middle of last year that encouraged me to ramp up my price pretty aggressively, but turn it into a very high-touch handholding process throughout the eight weeks. So the course was going to last the same amount of time, but they were going to get a ton of work with me and time with me, but still learn and be able to consume all the information at their own pace. And that massively changed the leverage that I had on my time because I wasn't having to follow up with everybody and go, where are you in the program? Have you done any work? Blah, 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 blah. I actually could have accountability because we'd talk two days a week on a group coaching call. So not only are they learning from me, but they're not learning in a vacuum. They're learning from each other. They're sharing resources. They're sharing networks. Like it's a beautiful little community. Right now we have, I think, eight people or so enrolled in the program at this point in time. And they just, they're so awesome. They help each other and they have discoveries and these calls are really powerful. So by increasing the price significantly and lowering the number of people that I needed to get into the program to make a profit, life just got so much more relaxed. I didn't have to worry about scale. I didn't have to worry about numbers. I didn't have to worry about like, okay, well, I have to add this many people to my list and then put it out again and then do this launch and blah, blah, blah. Like now I hold hour long career clarity calls that are also intake calls to see if people are a good fit for the program. I offer the program. If they say yes, they start rolling enrollment. So there's no barrier to entry. We don't do a one-year launch. Some people like that. It creates urgency. It creates scarcity. It works for a lot of businesses. It's, it's not what I chose. And so I have much more consistent revenue coming in. I know for a fact that because of the accountability, they're going to get results in the period of time that we've laid this out. And it's working. And so then I realized, okay, if I want to, if I have that, but that's really high touch and, and pretty expensive, what else can I do to package that I would actually enjoy doing? So I redid my core values this year and I realized I wanted to be around people more often. So we're going to do retreats. 
And the retreats, here's the cool part. I learned this. And if you're listening, I would highly recommend you go look at her stuff. Her name is Michelle Villalobos. She's a National Speakers Association member. She lives and works in Miami. She had her life and her business change when she started doing retreats because she could bring a bunch of people together for a really cool, very intensive three-day experience, and then convert some of them into some kind of continuity or accountability program afterwards, which creates monthly recurring revenue, which is 2019, in addition to being the year of living in intention and on purpose, is the year of Tracy Tim LLC monthly recurring revenue. Like that, I would say for you guys out there, if you're like thinking about becoming a coach and it's the thing that scares you the most is like the financial uncertainty, this is your goal eventually is how can I get to the point where I have consistent, accountable revenue such that I can start bringing on team members, I can start scaling effectively and efficiently. And I know, you know, you just, you know, when and where the money's coming in makes cash flow so much easier to deal with. So that's what we're doing this year is we're adding on retreats. We have our first one at the end of March and we're going to do them quarterly until we deem that we have to do them more often or want to do them more often, or we have more demand. And then we're going to offer accountability programs on the back end. So probably three, six, nine months of coaching and feedback and accountability and, you know, hope for a good conversion. And so that's where we are right now. And also this year, we're starting to hire certified coaches. So because I've trademarked the program and it's packaged, I'm bringing on new people who want to become coaches and training them in the methodology. And then they're going to go out and deploy that in the market like licensees or franchisees kind of. We're going to build an empire. And I'm just really excited about it. But that's what I wanted. you know. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't want to have employees and make a product. And bleh. like, if you just want to coach, just coach. And it's not even just coach. If you want to coach, coach. If you want to build an empire, build an empire. But be true to yourself and realize you know, for me, I had to realize too, like, where are my gifts and strengths? They're not in one-on-one service. Like I have a, I have, I'm kind of a jerk sometimes. Like I want a big picture. I want a big impact. I want scale. And so I can find people who love to do the one-on-one and love to do the service part and train them in what I've learned works. And then I can grow and scale and be the part of the business that I want to be. So I think that's crucial for you guys, you know, listening, if this is something you want to get into, find out why you want to get into it as deeply as possible. And then what it is that you want to do that's of service to others. So if it's build programs, build programs. If it's coach one-on-one, freaking coach one-on-one and sell the crap out of packages. You know, if that's for you, that's for you and, and own it and honor it. If you have a bigger or a different vision, then own that too. But I think that that's where my journey has led now is, you know, I want the nth degree career clarity process to become like our generation's what color is your parachute, you know? And not everybody's going to want to do that, but that's what I want to do. And so that's how the evolution of the way that we make money has changed over the years. It's it's in service of that larger goal. Tracy, knowing what you know now, and you had just three months to go back, do it all over again, and get your business off the ground and get into your career coaching business instead of, you know, when a lot of people think about starting a career coaching business, we think about, you know, taking months or years or whatever it might be. If you had just three months, what would you do? What would be some of the one, two, three things that you would do that would be the highest impact if you had to go back and do it all over again? For sure. Okay. So this is, I'm going to borrow something that I learned recently and I'm going to give her credit. So 
Last summer, I enrolled in a business development program called Impact with Influence with a woman named Gita Nadkarni. And she has now become a mentor and a close personal friend. Uh, but I would use her process if I had to start over. I would start over with her three steps, which are, if I remember them correctly, clarify, simplify, and amplify. So the first thing that you want to do before you do anything else is figure out who in the heck are you serving? Like, what are their literal demographics, age, gender, race, ethnicity, income level, industry, you know, what books do they read? And then you want to get really deep into the psychographics. So where is this person struggling? How is this issue in their career coming up in their relationships with their parents, with their significant other, with their cat? Like, where is it that they're having, you know, really deep feelings and issues and get as clear as you can about who that person is. You know, they call it your ideal customer avatar in the marketing world, but who is that person? Then step number two is simplify. So simplify how you deliver outcomes to this person. So what worked for me and what she teaches in the program is to put together some type of group coaching digital program where as you're coaching people, you're recording what you're saying and you're recording those insights. And then you just leverage those recordings to the next people who come in. And, you know, it's a beautiful cycle of the more you learn, the more they learn because you get better and better and better at it. The content gets better and better and better. And you start enrolling people immediately into a program that then very quickly becomes proven because you have to, right? You have to prove it. If you've sold it, you have to deliver it. If you deliver it, it has to work. Otherwise you won't have any more people to sell to. And so you, that creates momentum. And then her last thing was amplify. So go out into the world and like bang your drum as hard as you can on whatever it is that you believe in and the outcomes that you provide for people. So don't be shy about talking to that person. You know, every single person I talk to either says, oh, I could really use that or I know somebody who could really use that. And that's the beauty of the industry that you and I are in, Scott, oh, yeah. is like, this is the biggest kept secret in the world, I think, is that everybody feels like a like an eight-year-old running around in their parents' clothes trying to figure out like what the heck they're going to do with their lives. We all, I feel like that all the time. That's why I don't dress professionally. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't wear the suit or the whatever because it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like me. And so many people feel like that and they're living and working in jobs where they where where they're literally wearing a costume. You know what I mean? Like physically, mentally, spiritually, they're not themselves and they know it as soon as they start talking to you. And the more that you can just be outgoing with that message in person, in print, get media, pitch ideas to people, write a blog, start a podcast, anything where you're putting out consistent content in the world and amplifying the same message. So my message is career clarity. And I chose that on purpose because career coach felt generic and it felt saturated. So I want to be the career clarity expert, not the best career coach in the world. So, you know, figure out what your sort of core foundational methodology or strategy or whatever is, and that's what's going to set you apart. So I would clarify who your person is. I would simplify your either product or service model and how you deliver it with a mindset of getting into recurring revenue as quickly as possible if I were to start over again and focus on amplifying that message. If Because if you really believe in it, you shouldn't be afraid or worried about sharing it with people. Shouldn't wonder like, do they need it? Am I bothering them? You know, to be yourself and amplify the message that you really believe in and the people who need it will be attracted to you. 
over time. So that's, yeah, those are the three things that I would do. And I would start doing direct selling like immediately, like don't close things on, like don't write a sales page that takes you three months to put together and has like a, you know, at the bottom, it's three payments of this or one payment of that. Like get people on the phone, hear what their pain is, figure out what their bliss state would be prove to them that you are the thing that's keeping them from their bliss state, right? If you, if you hire me, I can get you here and then perform. And the more you perform and the more testimonials that you get, it's creating that momentum. So those are the first three steps. And it shouldn't take you more than three months to do those three steps. I did them in eight weeks in her program. I so, so appreciate that. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. Plus, just anytime I get to chat with you, uh, quite frankly, I you love- You are the best. You're the best. I love what you're doing in the world. I love that. And you guys, I really want you to hear this too, because I know I've, I've probably, I could talk your ear off and we've gone over and that's fine. Um, Scott and I do the same thing. Fundamentally, like we help people figure out what they want to do in their career and align who they are and what they love and what they're good at with something that the world needs. And we work together. I think this industry, like a rising tide raises all ships. Some of the people that are great for my programs are not going to be good for his and vice versa. Some of the people that are, you know, wonderful for his program are not going to be a good fit for mine. So the more that you can create these really deeply meaningful personal professional relationships with other people who do what you do, but maybe do it in a different capacity or they do it in a different format or they do it in a different place. Like we got, and I'm so thankful for you that I met you as early as I did, because I think we've supported each other in very meaningful ways. And I've participated in content of yours. You have a module on my program. So it's just a really beautiful giving back to each other. We all know that we're serving people. We're not in competition. And I think that's a really important, because if you go into this thinking it's all a zero sum game, either it's my client or it's Scott's client, or it's my revenue or it's Scott's revenue. You're not going in with that service mentality that I think you need to be a great coach. So I just, like I said, I'm so thankful to be in your universe, to have platform and the opportunity to, to impact the people that started to listen to you and have been with you forever. So I just hope that it's helpful. And I, like I said, I so appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. Absolutely. And on that exact note, you know, for those people who want to learn more about your backstory or they're just interested in how you how you've done this or whatever else, where can they learn more about you? What's the easiest yes. place to go? The best and easiest hub of all the information that you can find is tracytim.com. So it's T-R-A-C-Y-T-I-M.com. If you're interested in our certified coaching program, it's simply tracytim.com slash certified coach. If you're interested in our retreats, it's tracytim.com slash retreat. (laughs) We like to keep things really, really, really simple around here. And if you are interested in just getting on a call with me, wanting some more career clarity, wanting to learn more about this nth degree methodology, then tracytim.com slash clarity, and you can book yourself a clarity call with me anytime. So those are the easiest places to, to find me. Amazing. Thank you, Tracy. I appreciate it. Wonderful. Thank you. You're amazing. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode on how to become a career coach. Go to howtobeacareercoach.com to sign up for our 14-day email series that takes you through step-by-step everything you need to become a career coach and find out how it could be possible for you. 